what do you think is your biggest mistake maybe at tap chief i don't believe in regrets man in general oh, so yeah. okay <laughs> that's the best answer that you could have given no I, i no i fundamentally believe that you know a lot of yeah. times it sounds like a good answer but i think that every uh, decision good or bad at any point in time has led us to where we are <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Bits and Pieces podcast. Uh, if this is your first episode, this is a platform where we sit down with society's exceptions: entrepreneurs, celebrities, business people, people who are living lives that are completely different from normal people. And today, I have with me a really special guest. He is a young entrepreneur who sold his first startup while he was in college. uh he is the ceo of tapchief a company that linkedin rated as one of india's top 3 startups of 2019 uh shashank murli thank you so much for joining me hey thanks noah good to be here yeah uh so before we get into it before we talk about your startups i want to know what are you thinking about when you're not thinking about tapchief <laughs> i think uh yeah i mean before it used to be still different i think these days it's a lot about you know what's happening with the world right uh, what's mm. what's going on with covid uh, how is it going to change you know so many things i think some behaviors are fundamentally going to change so yeah i do try and uh, spend some time uh, reading and also wondering about you know what other people are saying what uh, uh, you know different sets of people are saying about uh, how different Uh, aspects of life in itself everything from transportation to mobility to healthcare to education the way people work which is of course of deep interest to me personally mm. uh yeah so i think a lot of things are changing in the world so right now honestly trying to uh, come to terms and also understand you know and hopefully try and imagine a few pieces uh aside from that in in a in a pre covid time i think i used to spend honestly although i'm not very vocal about it but i used to spend a lot of time uh, you know both of looking at uh, a lot of what's happening from a political stance across mm-hmm. the world not just in our country right and and last but not the least cricket cricket continues mm-hmm. to be a very uh, you know good yeah. part of life in the world unfortunately yeah. of course nothing anymore but yeah right Do you think anything will uh, any of the things that you spoke about like work or school will never go back to being the same? Well, I think it is tough right because at least from what most experts say the world will not be free of covid for a good 12 to 18 months right? right uh 12 to 18 months is a incredibly long time. Yeah that's yeah. So so keeping that in mind yes I do believe that some things are going to be irreversible right uh I'm. I mean, I'm not sure what those are. I leave those to the experts. But I think, uh, at least, at least from a work standpoint, I can say uh, very safely that every business and every company will like to have a certain portion portion of their workforce uh, being completely remote, uh, just from a business continuity standpoint. Uh, so that you know, if at all, and God forbid that we have to encounter such a situation again or any other situation. 
you know, businesses are far more prepared, right? Uh, so far, a lot of legacy organizations and industries never thought that that is of essence. Uh, and in fact, I've had a lot of time, uh, you know, I've gone ahead and tried to convince uh, very senior executives at very large businesses that it is going to be essential. So today, I think uh, that has accelerated. Same with learning uh, with, you know, uh, I think even you guys are having some of your classes online. online yeah. uh, that's happening even with kids as as young as five years old, six years old, right? So, yes, yeah, so, so some of those are going to change fundamentally. I think concepts like flip learning uh, will uh, start applying to work as well, where people will do a lot of deep focused work, you know, by themselves right. and go to office only to collaborate and actually engage in things which involve other people. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think the value of in-person collaboration will go away or in-person teaching or any of that will go away. But at the same time, it will be very, very focused. I think it will be valued uh, very highly. Uh, that time will be very uh, valued very highly when, as compared to what it used to be pre-COVID. Right. Uh, okay, let's get into it then. Uh, before we get into Tab Chief, I'm sure you get asked about Tab Chief a lot. But I want to talk about your first startup, Advice. Uh, right. What was that like? How did you come to selling your first startup while you were in college? Tell me the whole story. <laughs> well, so I think uh, as you're aware, obviously, right? at least in our times, uh, Bits never had attendance. Uh, so I spent a lot of time outside the classroom. Yeah, it still does. Uh, first week, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I think that's how it should always be. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so first few years, spent a lot of time outside classroom, uh, doing random stuff, uh, picking up and trying out all sorts of things as part of uh, the press club, as part of sounds, as part of a bunch of pretty cool stuff, which was quite interesting. But of course, after a period of time in which everything gets boring, right? Mm. Uh, so that's when you try and hunker down and try to figure out your own speciality of sorts. So that's when uh, I think in my second year is uh, that's when MOOCs had started to just come out and get started to launch. Uh, so yeah, I think Udacity back then had just two courses. Uh, one was Intro to Computer Science and the other was Intro to Web Development, something like that. So, so yeah, I started off with the Intro to Computer Science course where, you know, uh, they very interestingly taught Python uh, while teaching you how to build a search engine. So I found that uh, journey very uh, very interesting uh, where you know I landed up finishing that entire course in like I think two days flat or something and just got around to trying to build stuff out with Python and Python is almost like writing English you know mm. uh, it's one of the most simpler one of the most simpler computer programming languages right. so so yeah that's how I picked up coding started freelancing built some sites for you know internal campus use did a lot of stuff <laughs> that's what funded a lot of debauchery and partying in college for the next couple <laughs> of years. Um, eventually, my co-founder and I, uh, you know, uh, Binan and I and Arjun, also all of our siblings, you know, were preparing for their own day, right, uh, around that. And quite often they used to reach out and say, hey, uh, you know, can you help me with this? Can you solve that doubt, etc., etc." And, you know, you were obviously not very keen to do so when you were in fourth year of college, third year of college. But we thought that was a, quite an interesting opportunity for, uh, you know, us to build out something, uh, at least build a simple app, which kids could use to pose their doubts. And we saw on campus, a lot of, uh, you know, our peers were 
kind of tutoring etc on chag on uh, i think it used to be called insta edu at that point uh, and a few other things right so we thought you know we know that our, we have a good base of tutors for sure uh, and kids would probably definitely need it post 5 pm once classes are done and you know they're stuck so we thought why not let's go ahead and build something out right just for fun so in all honesty you know we built it for fun as like a pro- fun project right we never okay. thought it would we would try to make a startup out of it or anything of that sort uh, 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 so yeah so that's that's how we began in 2014 Uh, we ran that for about a year. Uh, we had like I think 500 plus tutors, a bunch of thousands of students. Uh, so yeah, so it was pretty cool uh, what we were able to do at that time, and to see that happening on a real time basis every day uh, was quite exciting. Now, how did the sale exactly happen? As I said, you know, we were not trying to build that out as a startup. Right. In fact, we not even had the company a company registered. To be very honest, but uh, another company kind of you know a bunch of very impressive founders. reached out to us uh, saying how much they enjoyed looking at our technology our supply base etc and said hey you know would you be interested in kind of selling the company so that's when you know we said okay why not uh, you know let's go ahead and sell it at least it will have a great home uh, because we at least we thought that the product should definitely decide and you know continue to thrive uh, but we didn't know if we were the best ones to run it so when we saw somebody with a lot more excitement than us we thought it would be the logical conclusion so yeah that's how it happened uh, and and i think at one point we just said worst case you know we would have at least have a good story to say that we sold something in college yeah so uh, that's that's how that happened so in summer of 2015 we sold it uh, at the end of our fourth year uh, spent the next 6 months or so shuttling between bangalore pilani helping that company that acquired us to transition okay. uh, and then get up to speed etc etc so yes it was interesting times uh, you know probably uh, taught us a lot about building products building things uh, building the first set of team members so yeah so it was quite an interesting uh, time in our lives you can say and uh, what's your relationship like with the people in your team i i all uh, we will go first with your co-founders and then with the rest of your team are you all friends or are you all business partners people who work together see uh, i think uh, you know we were obviously friends first and we became co-founders over a period of time uh, but i think i would say that it was friends co-founders best friends it's, it's that sort of a journey i would say right. you have become more closer friends having seen through a lot of things together hmm. uh, having been through a lot of tough situations where you had to make very tough decisions etc together so that's obviously deepened that bond and that relationship as friends uh, but yeah of course you know we we continue to work with each other because we respect each other's each other's skills each other's inputs and we believe that each one of us brings something extremely unique to the table uh, right and and i think that that mutual level of respect has to be there uh, because you can't just be friends and you know hope for the other things to work out right i think yeah. it's pertinent that you know those unique skills uh, you know exist and that that mutual love and respect exist for you to be successful co-founders uh and aside from that i mean i i commonly say that at least my my barometer has always been uh at least in various forums when people ask me you know how do you pick a co-founder who's a good co-founder etc i at least again you know have a very simple uh, answer because you know you can't give a very right answer for this yeah. so my 
my simple answer is you know what i call the beer test right so can you have a really really ugly shouting match in a room and at the end of it kind of propose to have a beer together and you know you go ahead and actually have that beer right mm. if you cannot do that with person please don't go ahead and kind of start a company with them because uh, you'll run into situations where you're at each other's neck more often than not than being like all homey and you know uh, very yeah. chill right so yeah. yeah so that's that's my take about uh, co-founders at least and with the rest of your employees uh, are, are they are they friends or are they employees is how how clear is the line between the two well i think uh, see uh, you know there are, there are, again there are two ways to build teams i feel uh, you know one way at least in the initial days what do you think is the right way is to build it like a family right, right. everybody knows everybody everybody knows yeah. every aspect of everybody's lives anybody can say anything to each other etc etc that still works at like the first 10 15 people i think but once you start scaling and last year is when we really scaled out our team to like nearly 60 people or so i think that's when um, you know one needs to start thinking of yourself as a sports team more than anything else right uh, who are extremely professional who have come together for a cause and who really want to win uh, and thereby encourage each other to get and improve themselves and you know are have no qualms in pointing out flaws and gaps uh, because the hope is that the other person is coming with great intent and the hope is that each other everybody is pushing each other to do better because ultimately the cause is more important than the individual right so i think that's the kind of culture that we have at tap chief where yes anybody can point out and tell anybody that you know they're wrong right just because i'm ceo or benay or rajnod ko our ceo or cto etc doesn't mean that anybody cannot come and say that hey sasan is being absolute bullshit right right uh, so i think that's the tri- kind of culture we've strived to build uh, of course you know we're learning as first time founders ourselves and continue to try and experiment to do better things but yeah i think by and large i would say most of our team members should easily be able to talk to us and tell us uh, to our face where we are wrong or where we could improve ourselves as well so that's the way it is and when it comes to things outside of work when it comes to things at a personal level uh, yeah i mean i think we have a fair amount of interaction we have our sort of uh, parties at different occasions where we all drink together where we all chill together so of course those are all part and parcel of you know trying and building something together but yeah i mean i would like to say that at least the aspiration is to try to be a very professional sports team hmm. more than a family of sorts right uh we didn't talk about tap chief though so <laughs> what was that like you uh, you you started that in your fourth year of college as per what i understand so how, what was how do you come up with it what was the thought what did you all do about it yeah so it was in the final year i mean uh, basically post the whole transition of advice etc so we had two options uh, you know uh, the more obvious option which everybody thought including parents and maybe for a while even us thought we would do was to go to sit for placements and get a great job mm-hmm. uh, of course a lot of these things which we had done would have helped us for a great job right on campus uh, the other option which nobody considered uh, but uh, uh, barring the three of us was to say that hey why don't we try and build something all over again right, right. Uh, because i think we really enjoyed that 
one, one and a half year phase where we were building something. It was used by real users. We could see the real impact we were making uh, in a very, albeit in a very small way. And we said that, you know, that feeling was very contagious. Uh, mm. I don't think we want to lose that feeling right. uh, when we're 21, 22. And, and we always look at it also from a, a risk sort of a mindset as well, right? And the worst risk we saw was that in six months time or a year's time, we would shut down and we would have to go try and get a job. And we all thought that we have reasonable amount of skills. We're reasonably smart to go ahead and get jobs if it really comes to that. But the upside was, would have been that we could, you know, experience this joy of building something all over again, uh, building right. a real company, uh, building a team alongside uh, and hopefully raise money, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, we said, you know, let's go for the upside. Uh, the downside doesn't seem so extreme at this point in time. So that's how we always think about most decisions, even today. Right? We really look at the upside and the downside. And if the downside doesn't look too bad, we always go for the upside. So, so we said, okay, uh, we'll do build something, but we had no freaking clue what we are going to go build, right? right? We just told our parents we're not doing placements, we're building something again. And yeah. they all thought, okay, fine, you know, these kids, six months, one year, they're going to come back and pick up jobs. Uh, yeah, so after that, uh, you know, we wondered, and I think what uh, really hit us home, home was that, you know, we rated our skills okay, right? Because we had largely picked it off the internet. You know, it was not really formal teaching or coaching or anything of that sort. But nonetheless, somehow with all of those skills, we had gone ahead and sold something, got real cash in our bank accounts. Uh, so all of that was quite inspiring because up until then, at least conventional wisdom, which you're told, imparted to you, as especially South Indian boy, for me at least personally, was go get a great job, go join Infosys, go join somebody, yeah. somebody else, etc. Right? So the fact that we could make money without, uh, just by using skills, uh, without a real job, was quite fascinating for us. Uh, and that's when we said that, hey, why don't we kind of, uh, you know, just uh, so many people with so many amazing skills, can we kind of help them do this uh, as well? So that's what led to Tab Chief, where we said, uh, we need to just help people monetize their skills better and hopefully lead those lives better. And, and we thought that that's what would make people a lot happier. So we said, let's go ahead and try and do that. So this was a broad, vague idea. And we said, let's go ahead and try and do it. Of course, from then to today, we have evolved a lot. Today, we are a full stack uh, platform, which helps uh, freelancers, independent workers, or solopreneurs, like how we like to call it, uh, you know, not only kind of find great opportunities with businesses, but also manage their entire life in a hassle-free manner uh, on our platform using, you know, our different softwares, like, you know, for invoicing, for payments, taxes, and so on and so forth, right? Um, so, yeah, so today we have over 125,000 people on our platform. We are, uh, we've done over 30,000 gigs offered by some of the best brands uh, in the country, like the Unilever, Pearson, uh, a lot of also fast-growing startups uh, like Paytm, Upgrad, etc. And yeah, we've driven over $2 million in earnings to people. So that, that feels wow. good uh, in many ways. So yeah, and we continue to go from strength to strength. In fact, uh, you know, both March and April uh, turned out to be some of our best months ever oh. in our lifetime. Despite because all everyone's at home. Yeah, everyone's at home. Uh, everyone... Businesses continue to still need to get stuff done, especially businesses which are yeah. continuing to thrive. 
uh, it's really hard to kind of uh, onboard new employees or new hires. So yeah, a lot of stuff has been happening on our platform, which, you know, our network of solopreneurs have been helping various businesses stay afloat and more importantly grow also in these times. Uh, but did you identify the problem first or did you decide that you wanted to do something together first? I think uh, do something together first. Okay. Uh, that's always been the case. And I still right. feel, you know, even if I were to do any other company ever again, I would always uh, make sure that Dina and Arjuna are by my side and then wonder okay. about what we Right. Uh, and I've heard about you. I've heard you talk about how you approach investors and it's, uh, it was quite a unique approach based on anything else I'd ever heard. So could you talk about that? Yeah, I think, see, uh, you know, there's a little too much uh, of importance in general to fundraising, right? Okay. Uh, that's probably because of a lot of, uh, because a lot of success is attributed to fundraising, a lot of media coverage of startups is around fundraising. So it's natural that everybody speaks a lot about it. But I think what one needs to understand is that ultimately it's like, I think I read a tweet somewhere the other day which said, uh, congratulating somebody on raising money is like congratulating a chef on buying vegetables. Right? Yeah. So uh, I completely agree with that view because ultimately capital is just a raw material, right? Yeah. And you use that raw material to hopefully create something which is of incredible value, yeah. which uh, wherein somebody who's taking that risk to invest very early on is, you know, thereby getting a lot of returns. Mm. So I think fundraising at least over a period of time as you know the comp- we have kind of grown as founders uh, and have spent more time uh, that's that's the view uh, we have also managed to develop of course in the early days it was a lot more fascinating and everything like oh we're getting funded etc right. but uh, i think now you know we have kind of normalized and been a little more uh, stoic about it okay. but uh, just to answer your question more specifically I think uh, we were very clear even on day one when we thought that we should raise money or etc. More than raising money, I think the thought process was how do we get great people who know a lot more about building internet businesses to come and support us, right? And the best way to say that they're actually supporting us is by ensuring that they have skin in the game, which is that they're investing some capital. Uh, I've taken money as low as one lakh rupees as an investment, right? uh, Right. right? But to the reason being uh, the one lakh mattered far lesser than having that relationship that with that person and having them as a eternal cheerleader of sorts for us right and for our mission and our journey so uh, yeah so thereby our fundraising approach always was that you know reaching out to people and asking them and telling them about hey this is what we're trying to do what do you think can you help us uh, and tell us give us some feedback tell us what we could do better uh, you know, how could we be more successful uh, basis your experience, what are things we need to look out for, etc, etc. And at some point, the conversation did turn to thank you so much with all of this. And it was, you know, a lot of those conversations were extremely insightful for first time founders like us. And then we would at the end of the conversation be like, hey, uh, so now that you've already spent so an hour or so helping us out, would be great if you can continue to uh, help us out. So can you maybe also chip in with some money, right? So it literally was that sort of a conversation uh, more right. often than not. Um, and yeah, and then they would say yes, or they would say no, uh, this is not interesting for me. I just thought I'll help, etc. In either way, it was okay. And whoever would said yes, we would ask them, hey, okay, do you know anybody else who also would be interested? I noticed 
Uh, you're friends with these guys. Do you think they would be interested? Can you make us an introduction? Etc. And just we just literally built organically like that, right? We didn't know anybody in the startup ecosystem, especially right. if you're in Pilani for five years. It's very hard for you to know people. So that's that's how we organically built it out. And I think we tried our best to do it with a lot of grace and humility. And that's what has held us in good stead as well. So yeah, that's I mean at least in my mind, it's it's as it has been as uh, straightforward as that. I wouldn't say it was as simple as that, but it was right. definitely as straightforward as that. Yeah. And what's the hardest part of your job as CEO? What's the hardest part of it, and what's your favorite part of it? <laughs> um, so I think my hardest part. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part is you know continues to be. Uh, Ensuring that focus uh, is there across teams. Uh, people are very much aware of their own objectives as well as other teams' objectives and how they're faring at it, uh, inculcating just a culture of measuring everything or as many things as possible. These are all you know, things which have taken us a good piece of time before we've arrived at ideal solutions, right? It was you okay. obviously ideal. Many things, uh, some worked, some just gloriously failed, etc. So, yeah, I would say the hardest part of my job is to keep everything intact, right? Uh, keep everything from co-founders, team members, external stakeholders, like investors, larger ecosystem, users, customers, their needs. So mm. keeping all of that intact uh, and not losing your sanity and ensuring nobody else in your team is losing their sanity and right. continues to be extremely excited about what we're trying to build together. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably the hardest job, right? Uh, okay. Of any, of any founder or any CEO in my opinion, right. uh, what's the favorite aspect of my job? I think the favorite aspect of my job is, is interacting with customers, is interacting with users as well as my team. Uh, I think okay. going ahead and identifying different problems that we can solve and some of the solutions, which we conceptualize, etc., And once, you know, it starts becoming a success and our users, customers, or uh, anybody within the team or even outside world could be a journalist, could be an investor, speaking our own words, which we used to speak maybe six months ago or a year ago. Uh, now that it's a success, everybody starts speaking the same language. Right. So just that, you know, journey or that, uh, you know, that phase, right? When you, what you were saying 12 months ago is the same thing that somebody else is repeating to you uh, 12 months later, I think that's, that's, you know, usually one of my best moments, uh, in, in the journey. Hmm. Uh, and as a, a leader in your business, uh, you have to create innovation, right? It's a startup. You're always, you're trying to grow. So how do you think you can incentivize innovation? Is a speech enough? Do you have to structure payments so that innovation is rewarded? How do you, how do you drive innovation? Yeah. So of course, you know, uh, you know, incentivizing with compensation and et cetera, et cetera, are useful, but I don't think that's the way to go, uh, at least for an early stage startup uh, or even, even companies down the line, in my opinion, I don't think any, you can, you know, you you can buy out your way through innovation. Right. Okay. Uh, I think uh, firstly, uh, I think it's very important to make sure the team understands uh, why innovation is necessary for an early stage company, right? Uh, so for which 
the team needs to realize what are the dynamics of building a venture back startup why, why are we going to prioritize growth over something else over profitability maybe uh, why are we kind of at times building things which require us to burn money etc etc right so firstly you need to understand uh, make sure the team understand what's the game that they are playing in the first place right? mm. if they don't know the rules of the game i don't think they can be a great team in the first place right so i think that's first then innovation i think uh, it is foolhardy to think it can come only from the top right or that is founders etc maybe they can set that sow those seeds early on in the beginning but over a period of time i don't think over 4 5 years or even a decade uh, any any company can sustain on the basis of founders ideas right so what that means is you need to build a culture of innovation in a sense uh, and you need what that and i think a simpler way to say building a culture of innovation is to build a culture of uh, you know where people are taking decisions on their own and making decisions on a day to day basis on their own now that's never going to happen if you tell people exactly what to do right what you instead need to do is to set objectives and goals to people set what are the barometers with which we will measure those obje- if you know we have achieved those objectives or goals or not and then let people figure out how they will go about achieving those goals right and wherever they ask for your help you step in and help out uh, or wherever they are stuck you can kind of maybe try and unblock them but i think that is the most important thing uh, if you follow a culture where you know the founders are telling okay go do this xyz uh, this team go do abc I don't think that's going to fester innovation in any manner or shape. Right. Uh and what's the hardest decision that you have had to make at Tapleaf? Or the hardest situation you've been faced with? Um many <laughs> but hardest would have been I think in 2017 we were running out of money. Uh, okay. So I think we had like I think it was like the last week of the month and we had no salaries to pay because we were almost ran out of money we were not able to raise uh, you know we were in a bit of a tumultuous situation at that time um but we did, did a very i don't know very irrational but a very bold move of saying that let's take on debt at a personal level and give ourselves 6 months to turn this around and if we don't turn it around we have the debt and we can just say that you know we we have an mba level debt without actually getting an mba so uh so yeah i think taking a huge debt uh, just as i think 2017 must be what yeah we were 23 24 years old uh taking a huge debt at a personal level uh at a time when you know everything was uncertain we didn't know if we would survive even two months or three months down the line uh because we didn't know where we were headed etc i think that was a tough time uh, in general because one there was obviously capital pressure and or financial pressure and two there was just so much uncertainty of what we were going to be did we get it so wrong how could we get it so wrong we have always gotten things right etc etc right so all of those uh, mental battles etc i think uh, was still hard uh, but yeah i think that phase uh, but yeah of course you know we uh, now that we are speaking here today because we yeah. over it but uh, yeah that that i would Put, uh, did think, you I, did you have a game plan going into those six months post taking the debt, or were you going to figure it out? I mean, yeah, we had a very very bleak sense, you can say, but it's not okay. something where I can claim yes, we have to figure it out, right? Uh, 
Okay. If we had to figure out, we would have raised money yeah. from a normal basis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we have a, we had a semblance of what we might attempt to do, but would we be successful? Would it work, etc.? We had no clue. But yeah, we managed to turn it around. Uh, what do you think is your biggest mistake, maybe, at Tap Chief? I don't believe in regrets, man. In general, oh, so yeah. okay, <laughs> that's the best answer that you could have given. No, I, I no, I fundamentally believe that. You know, a lot of yeah. times it sounds like a good answer, but I think that every uh, decision, good or bad, at any point in time, has led us to where we are. So, right. um, and so will it in the future as well. So, right. I'm not. Of course, it's it's good to kind of look back in hindsight and see what mm. we could have done better. Mm. But I'm not one for characterizing those as mistakes, successes, good decisions, bad decisions. Because I think one thing we learned very early on is a lot of times good decisions not do not always lead to uh, good outcomes and bad decisions do not always lead to bad outcomes. At right. times it's reverse, right? Yeah. So you need to kind of get it strictly from a decision standpoint and see and analyze in hindsight that, you know, was it a good decision or a bad decision, right? It's like a game of poker ultimately. Uh, are you, you know, are you constantly taking good decisions and even if then you're losing multiple hands, then, you know, just luck didn't work out, right? But you know that it made good so yeah, I think that's that's the way we view it, and hence uh, no real mistakes. I I would yeah. I think I would claim one as yeah. Uh, so I was watching this other podcast by Tim Ferriss with Kevin Sistrom and uh, the Instagram founder, and he was talking about how some of the best companies ever are pivots. Even Instagram was a pivot. It was a checking service, and they found right. that their photo section got the most traction. So they stripped it of everything else and it was just this thing. And so was TapChief. TapChief wasn't always what it is today. So uh, right. do you think that there's any value in that statement that, uh, do, you, do you think there's a reason rather that some of the best startups are, are pivots? Um, yeah, possibly so, right? Because I think a lot of times, you know, uh, initially when you start out, founders have like a, this ideal idea and they think that's mm-hmm. how the world will work and that's how the world will interact with it, etc. And go ahead and build that out. But, you know, that's why it's so important to launch where, as soon as possible because the moment you get, give it into the hands of real users, you start noticing that, you know, what you thought is so different versus what users mm-hmm. think and perceive as important. And that's when you have no choice but to kind of react to market forces because ultimately you're still trying to build a business. And thereby you make those tweaks and changes in order to adapt to what the market is saying, what your users are saying, mm. so that you're able to serve their needs in the best possible manner. So, so yeah, I think it's inevitable, right? Uh, you know, I think the best companies turn out to be that way because the ones who don't address those needs and adapt themselves and change themselves, more often than not just land up dying or becoming irrelevant. Uh, the ones which are considered most successful did that not only at like, so again, the pivot is a big word because it fundamentally changed things, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it could be in the form of a business model or the ideal market, et cetera. But on a day-to-day basis, I think, uh, you know, today things have gone, you know, so much easier to test out things so fast that on a day-to-day basis, every copy you're writing, every web page, every mobile screen, every button, everything, right? can be tested so rigorous, rigorously that, you know, you, you'll all, you're always constantly editing and constantly changing. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it's logical because that's the essence of building a startup where you're constantly understanding the needs and adapting. Right. 
Uh, I'll end this with the last two questions. The first one is, uh, are there any books or podcasts that you'd, or shows that you'd highly recommend to people? Right. I recommend, like, I tell my team about uh, three books uh, that I think everybody should read if they're doing a startup. Uh, one, the first book is to understand what is the purpose, right? What is the purpose about doing a startup? And I don't think there's any book or any entrepreneurial journey which explains the concept of purpose better than the Zappo story, which is the book's name is called Delivery Happiness. Uh, so yeah, I really recommend that uh, to people either starting up or even already in startup teams, etc. Uh, the other book, I, uh, on, on the same lines, I also recommend uh, Shoe Dog. Uh, because okay. it's just incredible resilience of Nike and right. its founder for four decades and, and more. Yeah. So those are two from a purpose, resilience, etc. standpoints. I recommend Trillion Dollar Coach uh, to everybody uh, who is either managing somebody or being managed by someone. right? Okay. Because I think that's a two-way street. Uh, and it's so essential in a startup to have that very, very clear and, uh, you know, to do it in the right way. And it's obviously written about the best principles of one of Silicon Valley's best coaches, Andy Grove, right? So that's something I, again, recommend. Uh, sorry, Bill Campbell. My bad. Uh, yeah. So that's something I can definitely recommend. And the last thing I recommend is uh, Measure What Matters uh, by John Doerr. Because again, uh, every you know anything that matters needs to be measured, in my opinion, in the startup. Mm. Right? If you're not measuring it, you don't really care about it enough today. Um, so yeah, so I think that's that's the third book. So yeah, from a purpose standpoint, from a just human relationships and interaction standpoint, and last but not the least, logic and math to ensure that you're on the right track. So yeah. okay, I'll link all of those uh, and. Uh... This is the last question. If you have any advice to give people who want to start companies out of college or, or young entrepreneurs, what is it? Um, I would say don't do it for the fame, glory, etc. Don't even do it because you think you're going to make a lot of money very quickly. None of that's going to happen, firstly. right? And yeah. even if it does happen, uh, you're, you're going to have... Uh, all sorts of ups and downs before it comes back again, in my opinion. Do it because you personally feel very passionately for a particular problem. You feel that if that problem were to be solved in the world, there couldn't be anybody more happier than you. Um, there, and you would do anything and go to any extent to solve that problem, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think those have to be the right reasons to start up in my opinion. Uh, fame, money, etc. Just, I mean, I think there are far easier ways today. Uh, yeah. Lots of lots of easier ways to become instantly famous, to make quick money, etc. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think those those are my thoughts. So you should really have a love for solving a particular problem and you know positively impacting a set of users. Uh, and if you're if you actually manage to do that, that's that's your kind of success, right? If you're able to see that, I think that's when you, or if you're able to feel that so strongly, that's when you should attempt to start up. And my general advice, uh, otherwise also for people starting up in general, is to kind of do it with at least another person, not two. Okay. Uh, anything more than three is a crowd, in my opinion. But at right. least two or three is ideal. 
because it's a lonely journey it's it's not an easy journey right. and you are more often than not destined to fail so okay. uh it's great to have and build it out with people you enjoy working with uh because those relationships will last even if the startup doesn't so right. yeah uh one last thing so i've been trying to contact elon musk okay uh, it, it, i was just trying to think of the the wildest the, the hardest person i could to get on to be a guest on my podcast so what i've been trying to do is to tweet to him every day and every day i come up with an ad or a meme or something like that and i and i tweet to him and today is like day 38 or something like that so if oh, wow. if you were trying to reach elon musk what would you do i would i would really try to find who does elon musk respect and try to get to know him first before trying okay. to quote musk quote right. that's what as as i was saying earlier uh, even with raising money even with trying to hire people who are way smarter than me uh, even with trying to close a customer that's my traditional route always try to find out who do they know who do they respect try to get to know them and if that chain seems long enough that like let's say elon musk knows larry page really well yeah or damn you know larry page yeah. so i keep kind of breaking that down breaking that down and that's when you build that chain and eventually you'll get there so as opposed to tweeting to him 38 days straight i would probably try to rather get to know 38 other people who can eventually get me to elon musk right thanks a lot thanks for doing this hey anyway uh and cut <laughs>